Welcome to Allergy Times. I'm Dr. Zachary Rubin, and my podcast is all about allergies and immunology. This is a podcast meant to educate the public and not intended as medical advice. Further questions should be directed towards your local allergist if you have concerns about your own health. For today's episode, I will be talking all about hives. This time, I'd like to start off with a clinical case. This case is based off a real patient I saw, but I will change some details to protect the identity of this individual. A few years ago, I saw a 14-year-old boy for an evaluation of hives. Roughly two months before seeing me, he was at a swimming pool for about a half hour and complained of itching. When he got out of the swimming pool, he developed hives all over his body. His mother took him home and gave him Benadryl, which helped his hives resolve within 30 minutes. Since then, he complained of hives almost every day, which usually occurred shortly after taking a shower. He found that his hives would not happen if he did not shower, so he stopped taking a shower roughly one week before seeing me. This type of presentation is exceedingly rare. However, hives are quite common. Approximately 1 in 5 individuals will experience an episode of hives in their life, and 1% of the general population experiences chronic hives. There are a lot of misconceptions about hives, so I'll try to clear this up in this episode. Hives is also called urticaria, and it is characterized by an itchy, red, raised rash that may resemble mosquito bites at times. Other terminology used to describe this rash is a wheel, which is the swollen part, and a flare, which is the surrounding red area. There are various chemicals that cause this rash, but the one that most people are familiar with is histamine. This chemical is mainly released from mast cells, but also another cell in the body called basophils. Histamine and other mediators cause blood vessels to get larger and leakier, leading to the appearance of hives. Histamine signals your brain the itchy sensation as well. In most cases, we don't really understand why mast cells and basophils become so twitchy and release these chemicals. Now, I'll warn you because I'll be using the terms hives and urticaria interchangeably throughout this episode. We classify hives as either being acute, meaning the hives last for less than six weeks, or chronic hives, where they last for more than six weeks. Almost half of people who experience hives also have an accompanying deeper swelling that's known as angioedema. Angioedema can occur in isolation as well. Acute urticaria can be caused by many reasons, and that cause is much more likely to be identified compared to chronic urticaria. Infections, particularly of the viral variety, can cause hives, and this is very common in children. Other identifiable causes of acute hives include medications, insect stings or bites, food, blood products, and latex. There are various allergens that can cause hives by direct contact, including animal saliva and raw food. One of my Twitter followers asked me, Can you explain a delayed reaction? I've broken out in hives after taking antibiotics for a week, never immediately. This is a great question. Drug allergy is a complicated issue that requires its own special set of episodes. The bottom line is, you should talk with your allergist to see whether those hives are potentially related to the drug or if there's something else going on that could explain the hives. Another great question that was asked recently was, what is the evolutionary benefit of hives? We don't fully understand the answer to this question, but one of the theories is that hives are a defense mechanism. 
Think about when you get a mosquito bite. There may be an initial feeling of pain and itch that helps you recognize that something foreign is present and trying to attack you, so your natural reaction is to itch and try to get rid of that insect. Hives may keep you on high alert to future invaders in a protective manner. Obviously, this isn't as helpful now that we spend the vast majority of our time indoors. Now, shifting gears here. The patient I described had hives going on for more than six weeks, so he has what's called chronic urticaria. It has various classifications. Unfortunately, most of the time, the cause for chronic hives cannot be determined. A cause may only be identified in about 10-20% to 20 of the time. Most often, we can't identify a case, so it's classified as chronic idiopathic urticaria. If there is a reproducible trigger for the hives, then this is known as chronic inducible urticaria. I will go over this type of hives in more detail because I had several people ask me about this recently. Keep in mind that we don't know a lot regarding why these inducible forms of hives occur. One of the major subclasses of chronic inducible urticaria is called physical urticaria, which means that there are physical triggers for these hives. The most common cause of physical urticaria is dermographism, which may or may not itch. You may be able to draw on your skin with this type of condition, meaning that a wheel will form where you stroke your skin. The extremes of temperature can induce hives as well. Cold-induced urticaria is the second most common cause of physical urticaria. Hives may result while the skin comes into contact with cold temperatures or once the skin is rewarming. This type of urticaria may be rarely associated with anaphylaxis. Cold-induced urticaria can be inherited in a rare syndromes, such as familial cold autoinflammatory syndrome and phospholipase C gamma-2-associated deficiency in immune dysregulation, or PLAD for short. Urticaria may also be induced by pressure, light exposure, and vibrations. There are other inducible forms of urticaria as well. Cholinergic urticaria describes how hives can develop from the body warming up. These types of triggers can be from a hot bath, exercise, emotional stress, spicy and even hot foods. A distinguishing part of this condition is the fact that the hives are typically tiny and are short-lived. Now, another rare form of urticaria is called aquagenic urticaria. This is when hives form after the skin comes into contact with water. Typically, this does not occur immediately. It may take several minutes before hives develop. The temperature and salinity of the water may make a difference as well. If you remember the story of the boy that I talked about earlier, then you may be suspecting that he has aquagenic urticaria. How do we investigate the potential cause of hives? From the standpoint of inducible urticaria, we can perform tests that may provoke the symptoms. In the case of dermographism, we can easily stroke the skin with a blunt object to see if hives occur. For cold-induced urticaria, we can place an ice cube on the skin for five minutes to see if hives form. If light induces hives, also known as solar urticaria, we can expose the skin to various wavelengths of light to see if hives form. In our case, we tried the ice cube test on one arm, which was negative. At the same time, we submerged the boy's other arm in a basin filled with room-temperature distilled water for 15 minutes. Near the end of this test, he complained of itching, and his arm was covered with small hives 
which confirmed that he had aquagenic urticaria. Now, if there is no identifiable trigger based on history, what should be done then? That's the case of chronic idiopathic urticaria. Most people with chronic urticaria do not have other signs or symptoms suggestive of their underlying cause. Therefore, routine blood tests are not recommended because the likelihood that a cause will be found is exceptionally low, and the cost of these tests can be quite high. Urticaria may be associated with autoimmune conditions such as lupus, autoimmune thyroiditis, and Sjogren's syndrome. However, unless there are signs and symptoms suggestive of these diseases, the likelihood of finding these conditions on screening tests is very low. Limited testing may be helpful in certain cases. In terms of treating hives, the first aspect is avoiding potential triggers. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen, but also heat and tight clothing may make hives worse and may need to be avoided in some people. There's very little evidence to suggest that food elimination diets are helpful. If an inducible form of urticaria is identified, then avoiding those triggers will be helpful. Since histamine is the main chemical that causes hives, we have medicines called antihistamines that work by blocking the effect of histamine. Histamine has four types of receptors called H1, H2, H3, and H4. We routinely use medicines that block the H1 and H2 receptors. The main class of antihistamines that are used to treat hives are called second-generation H1 antihistamines. Examples include cetirizine, loratadine, fexofenadine, levocetirizine. These are Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra, and Zizol, respectively. Diphenhydramine, also known as Benadryl, is a first-generation H1 antihistamine that could be considered for as-needed treatment, but should not be routinely used due to its many side effects, which include sedation. H2 antihistamines can be used as additional treatment, and these include famotidine, cimetidine, and ranitidine, which are also known as pepsid, tagamet, and zantac, respectively. These are normally prescribed as antacids, but can be used for the treatment of hives as well. Other medications may need to be used as well, and even injectable medicines called biologics may be necessary in some cases. In our case, the boy who we suspected having aquagenic urticaria took cetirizine twice a day to keep the hives at bay. He was able to start showering again on a regular basis, and his quality of life dramatically improved. Fortunately, chronic urticaria is usually a self-limited disorder, and remission at one year occurs in roughly 30-50% to 50 of cases, but some do persist for many years. If you have been experiencing chronic hives, it would be best to speak with an allergist regarding your concerns. So with that, I thank you so much for listening to me talk about hives. If you, would, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to future episodes of this podcast. Feel free to send me questions or ideas for future episodes on my Twitter, at Ruben underscore Allergy. Again, that's R-U-B-I-N underscore Allergy. Remember, folks, the world of allergy is very common and confusing, and I'm happy to help clear up confusion along the way. Take care.